I'm S.K. Barrett, and we also have with us Mr. Wes. What's up? We are back in the saddle. And special guest, Kelly Evans. And I'm here in the, I guess I'm in the saddle too. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> I didn't I didn't know I was supposed to bring a saddle. That's a big saddle. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, well hey. I'm very small. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I've missed having the show the last few weeks, but it's been, you know, unavoidable, and I probably shouldn't have done the show tonight, but I just could not go another week without doing a show. So here we are, and we are going to talk about one crazy bitch. Yeah. Delphine, Let's just get right in there. Delphine LaLaurie. Madame how, Delphine LaLaurie. LaLaurie if you're from the north, and something else if you're from <laughs> New Orleans. <laughs> we're going to have to rely on we're going to have to rely on the person with the New Orleans roots to um pronu- to correct our pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, it, I always heard a lot about her with the blood, the New Orleans blood that runs in my veins. My great-grandmother, having been from Mansura, Louisiana, in the Voiles Parish, where they have the Cochon de Lait Festival, the nice. pig, every year. Um, she was actually raised in the city, and a second or third cousin of mine actually ran for mayor against Ray Nagin before Katrina and lost, needless to oh. say. <laughs> wow. So yeah. Man, deep roots down there. That's a that was a good election to lose. Yeah, yeah, if he was there definitely was like, yeah, I don't want to touch that. But yeah, and he has a house in the garden district down there and everything. Wonder how he's doing. Oh, I nice. should contact him. I haven't talked to Leo in a while. So well, there you go. We're informative Our- and helpful on this channel. <laughs> <laughs> We're working on bringing, fix, we're working on together. fixing on all. We're working on fixing that. <laughs> all right. Yep. Kelly Evans. Yes. Why the hell do, should we care about this Louisiana woman from before the Civil War? What the hell did she ever do to anybody? Oh well, let's see. Uh, where does that first set up? <laughs> what did where, she do? Yeah, where, where to start? <laughs> um, okay, so let's get it. Okay, so Delphine Lalaurie 
Um, she was born in the late 1700s, so 1787, and she married her first husband when she was 13 years old. She came from a very high, she was born in New Orleans, and she came from a very affluential background. So she was used to luxury, used to um, the rich society of New Orleans, her parents hosting parties, etc. She married when she was 13, which... I, 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 sorry, I'm a bit of a medievalist with a sidetrack and serial killer, so I'm not sure the marriage rules in New Orleans back then. 13 seems to me like a little bit on the young side, um, but well, she married a, well. A lot of places with parental permission, there was no age limit. Oh, okay. So 13 would have been acceptable? I mean, oh, I would imagine, especially yeah. considering who her first husband was, a, okay, a Spanish well, military man. Um, yeah, I was going to say, With, yeah, like, a 30-syllable name that I can't uh, recall. Okay, hang on one sec. I've got it. Oh, you, you, don't have have to, you don't have to look it up. I just no, say it's got it way long. So, so spouse number one when she was 13 is Don Ramon de Lopez y Angelo. Um, and he only died. He, he died four years later. Um, mm -hmm. So he died, he died fairly young. Um, but she did travel to Spain with him at one point, so they had a little family. Um, she had one child by him, a daughter. And then her next husband, so she married three times, actually. So her next husband, uh, Jean Blanc, which was, <laughs> thank God, mm -hmm. a nice, easy name to pronounce. Um, she married him when jo she was 21. John, John White. Jean White, yeah, John White. <laughs> um, she married him and had um, four kids by him i think there was uh, three daughters and a son and then he passed away and when she was 38 she married um another man and he was much much younger than her so she must have been a looker dr nicholas lalaurie yes that's where she gets the lalaurie um part from so that's basically just in a nutshell um her like her marital life her kids she had ended up having four five six kids um, in all. And she was a socialite. She was described as being incredibly beautiful, incredibly polite, very gracious to her guests. Um, she basically was the person, the, the go-to person um, for anything that was going on in New Orleans. She had connections all over the place. Um, she had some fairly influential relatives. Um, one of her cousins was the mayor of New Orleans at one point. She had a, an uncle who was uh, another uh, politician. And basically, if you were seen at her soirees, that was it. You were made. So she was she was some pretty hot stuff. Um, she had a building built while she was married um, to her to her to her, uh, to her second husband, um, and had three stories, including slave quarters. And she had this built with her own money, so she was rich. It, she was independently wealthy, as well as marrying rich three times. That is um, the map that we have in here somewhere, SK, of yeah. eleven forty Royal Street. In yeah, the French I think, quarter. I think it was known as La Maison Blanc, like the White House, like because <laughs> her last name was Blanc at the time. Yeah, yeah. And um, they ended up moving. Um, so she lived there with her her daughters and her last husband. And this is where this is where it all this is where the, everything was discovered. So we don't know much about her life prior to living in this house um, and her treatment of her slaves. By all accounts, she was actually, in, in public, she was very courteous to her slaves. In fact, um, the house caught on fire, and that's when everything was discovered. But two years before the house caught on fire, she actually freed two of her slaves uh, voluntarily. So everybody One of those her, was from her second husband. His, di his dying wish was to have the, um, what was his name? 
Oh, I can't uh, remember the slave's name, but his dying wish was to have him free. Yeah, there were two. I think there were that two. That was the reason for one. Yeah. But the other one, we're not sure about. And even even if it was a dying wish, she seemed to like at least in public, she made an effort to appear completely gracious, completely good to her slaves, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, sounds in, like my mom. <laughs> in the background, <laughs> however. There's a whole lot of other stuff going on. So in 1834, the house caught on fire. Uh, the, the people rushed in, tried to get into the house, and the Lollaries said, no, you can't have the keys to the house, sorry. Um, the house continued to, to, to catch flame, and everybody Wait, eventually well, just... Well, hold on. Who couldn't have the keys? The fire department? No one. Yeah. The, the, peop the people in the town came forward to try and help and put the fire It took out. a magistrate. To yeah. say you're going to let us in. And the reason that the people were clamoring to get the keys is they heard screams right. from inside that house. Yeah. Well, I'm, yeah. Uh, nothing suspicious there. No, no, right. no. It's all right. We'll let it all burn. But and the, in fact, that the, was Dr. LaLaurie's answer whenever people would inquire about the slaves there. Is that people own, should yeah. mind their own damn business. Mind their basically. own business. I think there was a quote in the, the New Orleans Bee, which is the newspaper that had a lot of this information. Um, he says something about, he actually referred to the, the laws that were interfering with other people's business. Um, mm -hmm. I want to get back to the, I want to get back to those laws because that's kind of significant to put the treatment into context of what the laws were at the time. Because um, I've done a little bit of research on those. So basically, um, prior to this, there had been an incident where a young female slave had thrown herself off the balcony um, reputedly because she was afraid of being punished for um, snagging the mistress's hair. She was brushing the hair and she caught a snag. And rather than be whipped, she threw herself off the balcony and died. Um, so there was an investigation and they were found to be um, in breach of the laws of the time. And they were asked, well, they were forced to give up nine of their slaves. Um, not freeing the slaves, just give up nine of their slaves. To somebody um, else. Just to somebody else, yeah. But what they but now, to... wait, do we know that was a suicide? I don't think we do know for certain we whether that was a that suicide. It was at any rate, she did fall off of the. So a lot of a lot of yeah. There's a lot of stuff about um, it. Just like when uh, I think I was on the Jack the Ripper show. Just like Jack the Ripper, there's a whole bunch of stuff to wade through to get to the truth. So yeah, I'm trying yeah. to tread a line where I'm sticking as closely to the truth as possible. But when something comes up, I will say, you know, it was reported or allegedly this was done or that sort of thing. And, so, and, and one minor point on the fire is that another reason why the townsfolk would want to put the fire out is they wouldn't want it to spread. Yeah, the to buildings the were built so close to yeah. each other and they were wooden. Right. And, and so, you can't just say it's all right, we'll let it burn because... No, that's how you got Chicago burned to the ground. <laughs> well, oh, sure. Yeah, great. although this was at least 50 years before that. I know, but, but yeah. The great, yeah, there was also the Great Fire of London that burned down half of London, so, yeah. Right, yeah. You know, a, a fire was a serious problem in those days. Any fire. Yep. And yep, now, absolutely. after that fire, they found so out that it was caused by, or do we want to wait yeah. on that part okay, of the story? So so going back just before the fire, um, she was ordered to give surrender nine slaves. But what she did was she actually got um, some other family members to buy back the slaves, and they ended up in her house again. So that was one little sneaky thing that she pulled. So, uh... um, yeah, so anyway, so the fire. So eventually the townspeople and the magistrate get inside, 
And when they go to the top floor, what they find, uh, and I'm sticking to the, re- the contemporary report. So the day after the fire, this uh, New Orleans Bee reported. So basically what they found were about a dozen slaves tied up, shackled in ways that were illegal, broken bones, injuries that were so horrific that they were surprised the slaves were still alive. Um, that's what was reported at the time. Now, we'll get into the other stuff afterwards. Because I know there's a, there's we, a lot worse. Was there a count? Was there reported. a head count? Seven is what seven. I had seen. Yeah, I think it was seven. And then the numbers sort of fluctuate depending on who's reporting and how far it is from the from the actual thing. But yeah, the, the, the New Orleans Bee reported seven. Um, and what they also discovered is that there was a 70-year-old woman, uh, a slave, who was in the kitchen. She was shackled to the oven in the kitchen. And she had actually started the fire because wow. she didn't want to live. She did not want to be a slave anymore. She did not want it. She, she knew what was going on in the attic. She wanted to end it all. And she actually lived. She actually survived. Man. Did she, ha- um, did she end up staying in the house? Well, it's, after the fire was put out, the it was basically ransacked by the um, uh, by the townspeople. Uh, the Lollaries fled. Um, there's different stories about where they went. So there's one that says they stayed in the States for a little while, and then they moved over to Paris. There's one that says they moved immediately to Paris. Um, but we... we we know, or at least we think we know, she died in Paris. So the likelihood is she went sort of immediately to Paris um, and never got caught. Wow. How long, most, and and of, how, how long did she live after the fire? Uh, Roughly two. I want to say it was eight years after. It depend, Yeah, there's, some, there's a little bit of confusion because there's actually two dates um, given for her death. So there's an official date... Um, that's sort of like the official records in Paris. Um, so that's the 1849 date. But then there's another, um, someone found an old plaque that supposedly uh, is like a grave marker for her that says she died a few years after that. So uh, so I, I would go with the, the, the coroner or whatever, the, the official record. Okay, so now... So she managed to... Yeah. Oh, and hang on. There was one other thing. Oh, one of the most horrific things, actually, in in my opinion, was the slaves that were rescued from the house were not, you know, were not shuffled away to another house or treated or put into a hospital or freed. They were actually put on display for the townspeople to come and see the horrific things that the Lullaries had done. Oh, so, like, like a sideshow? Like a sideshow. So just to add to everything else, they then had to stand there while everybody else came up and prodded and poked them and, and exclaimed over the injuries. So that's, wow. yeah. So that's, yeah, that's basically the Lullary story. Um, that's the, the closest we can get to, I guess, the truth as possible. Um, now, two years later, there, uh, two years... Actually, four years later, there was a reporter. Um, her name was uh, something Martineau, Suzanne Martineau. And she started publishing stories about the whole Lori thing. And she had actually been to the town two years after the fire and talked to the local residents. And that's when a whole bunch of other stuff started coming out. So you got to take oh. the stuff that Martineau writes with a grain of salt. Because it's at best secondhand. 
exactly. It's from the townspeople. It's, she was she visited the town to get her information two years after the fire, two years after the whole thing happened. And by that time, you know what townspeople are like. They're, you know, they want a bit of attention. There's a reporter in town. How can I make myself sound important? So I'm, well, a lot of the stories plus, are going to be puffed up. Plus all of the gossip in town would yeah. be like, oh, did you hear this and did you hear that? And, and then it just, everything grows out of proportion. Exactly. But so, it's also important to sort of stratify the sources there because there was another one that came out about 1946 that spread a lot of misinformation. Is that the George... Uh... Ghost uh, Stories of Old New Orleans, I think yeah, is the title. Yeah, that's that George, is the George something, yeah, I know. Who and I would about. definitely take Martineau over oh. whatever that yeah, 1946 tome has to say. At least she was closer, uh, it's Harriet Martineau, sorry, not Suzanne. Um, at least she was closer to the source, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, the other, I'm still trying to find the name of, I know who it was, 1940s, uh, I'm sure it was George something, I don't remember his name, but I know the book you're talking about. Mm-hmm. All right, so, <coughs> so between all the facts, between fact and all the rumors and fictionalized accounts and all the bullshit, what's the best guess on the number of people she killed? You have that, well, you have the seven that they got out, and then you also have the ones that they found under the floorboards. Yeah, let me go into that, actually. The pre- the, the, the history of the property is actually kind of interesting, because after the fire, it stood derelict for, um, like, years, just years. No one would go near it, and, and at the time, the property value was, like, it just wasn't as good. People so, wouldn't even walk on the same side of the street as yeah, the property it just, for it, there years was, after that. There were rumors that the house was haunted and that there were but so no one touched it basically. So after a while, um, uh, in the in the like mid eighteen hundreds, um, they opened up a high school for girls, and then after that, they opened up a music school, a very high class music school in the building. And there were numerous reports of groans and people screaming and ghostly apparitions. One girl woke up and there was like a a, ch- a shackled man standing over her. Um, after that, they it, they it closed because no one wanted to stay there. It was that bad. Wow. So there was another person who was a recluse in 1899. I think his name was Jules Verney. He moved in, um, and he lived there for quite a while. And he was such he was kind of like a, a hoarder recluse. And I think he actually died there. Um, so he stuck it out. And then someone else built it in the early 19. Uh, sorry, um, bought it. Bought it the early 1900s. Built up um, a, a bunch of apartment buildings. There were so many reports of ghosts that every apartment building was empty, so it was deserted again. And then a bunch of bil- um, businesses moved in, and they all had problems because either no one would come to the shops or the shops were too haunted, so they all moved out. Um, Nicholas Cage owned it for a little while, and then I think like, he has well, a bankrupt. Like to the, the actor Nicholas Cage. Yeah. 2007 yeah. to 2009, he was writing a horror novel that and never uh, materialized. Yeah, I guess he has some the, financial problems, so it, he, took, I yeah. guess there were some bankruptcy problems. So he sold that sold. Um, and at the moment, it's actually a privately owned building. It's apartment buildings, and I don't know about current reports of ghosts. But if you go on one of those um, tours of New Orleans and they say, "Ooh, we're stopping at the," you know, you are literally stopping at it. You are not allowed into the building. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, sorry. The reason I brought all this up is mm-hmm. because each successive um, 
phase of rebuilding revealed more bones. There were bones in the floor, there were bones in the backyard, there were bones in the side yard. Um, they just found pits where they they where slaves were buried. Like like uh, multiple bodies per grave kind of concept, mass yeah. grave kind of thing. Yep. And in the basement of the building itself, as well as outside the building. What's the best guess then on uh, how oh many people? I haven't seen one. I haven't actually seen anybody attempt it. I haven't either. Well, in uh, American <laughs> Horror, she uh, Kathy Bates says sixty-eight. Yep, I watched that this afternoon. Actually, yep the yeah. the the tour guide says, "Oh, she killed one hundred and seventeen women." She goes, "Oh, don't be silly. I killed sixty-eight. I kept them in a book." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. But love, the book sorry, probably I love that burned show. up. Yeah, Kathy Bates yeah, is yeah. awesome. Oh, she really is. Well, yeah, we'll get into the sort of like the the cult of LaLaurie, and that's that's one of the reasons. If you've seen but American they, Horror Story, Coven, then yes. you know LaLaurie. Season three. Well, and it, it's when you said cult, they're kind of interesting. There's also stories about when she escaped, she went to the woods around Lake Pontchartrain and allegedly yeah, yeah. stayed. This is another story that she allegedly stayed there practicing the occult. For some yeah, time after. I don't believe that for a minute. I don't believe a high society woman would live in the woods, would deign to live in the woods. I think she went for comfort. So I reckon she either went to, I think there was a, a story that she went to Alabama for a while. Um, or she went to directly. and then Paris. Yeah, I think either that happened or she went directly to Paris. Mm-hmm. I don't, I can't see her living in the woods. No, no. I mean, <laughs> there. It was still. Elegant. It was still. It was still an age where, you know, class was important. And yeah, very we, important. And in your class, there were the do's and the don'ts, and they were hard and fast rules. Yep, exactly. And camping was not one of those. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> For her class, <laughs> even glamping was not allowed back then. No. I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if you're the if you're the toast of the town and you're the hostess with the mostest, and you know New Orleans high society, there's no way you're going to be caught in a camping tent. Right. Um, um. So, what kinds of things? What do we know that she did to the slaves? I mean, besides kill them, she did more than <laughs> just kill them. She tortured them. Well, like, depending on who things. You- yeah, depending on who you believe, and I've actually got a quote from. Um, okay, so the next, the day after the fire, the New Orleans Bee said, um, "Okay, so they they the bystanders broke down the doors to the slave quarters and found quote seven slaves more or less horribly mutilated, suspended by the neck with their limbs apparently stretched and torn from one extremity to the other, and they there are a couple there who who had said they'd been there for some months." Um, Subsequently, there was a judge who entered, and his deposition basically said that he he found a negress wearing an iron collar, an old Negro woman who had received a very deep wound on her head who was too weak to be able to walk. So that's what we know based on the day after. It's still fresh in people's minds. Mm -hmm. Now, further going on from that, some of the stuff that, like, for example, uh, Martineau reported... um, there was a couple of people who apparently had their stomachs cut open and the intestines taken out and wrapped around them. Um, there were a lot of them 
um, hanged. There were a lot of just cuts and things all over the place. There was one man who apparently was still alive who had a, a hole in his head and then had a wooden spoon put into his head and apparently to scramble his brains. Um, there were a lot of slaves with broken limbs. Apparently there was one, um, she had her limbs broken so that she could fit into the, the, the crate that Laveau wanted, or sorry, um, LaLaurie wanted her to fit in. So this is the stuff that came out afterwards. Hmm. With the ones that were inside the crates, that is where you get the, um, myth of the crab woman for one. Yes. Where exactly. she allegedly broke her bones and reset them. Exactly. at angles to resemble a crab. Yeah, and then there was another, another myth as part of that of the caterpillar woman, where yeah, she that's... allegedly took her all her limbs off and then yeah. left these deep circular wounds on her to make her look like a caterpillar. Yeah, wow. apparently someone yeah. found her in a crate. There's also a story that she had actually um, stuffed some sort of animal excrement, we don't know what animal, down a slave's throat and sewed up her mouth so she couldn't spit <laughs> it out. So... Um, but again, keep in mind, this is four years after the fire right? Or, or later. Some of these stories actually might be from the 1940s book. Yeah. So urban legends have a tendency to grow. Yeah. Um, but, but having said that now the, the source material and especially the, the, the growing and everything, even two years after when Martinique gathered her evidence, keep in mind that 4,000 people came to see the slaves after they were taken from the house and exhibited. 4, that's a lot of people. Yeah, that's Whoa. a lot of people to see that kind of stuff and have it embedded in their imagination. Right. And I bet nobody bothered to ask the slaves. <laughs> oh, God, no. God, no. Why would you do that? Well, no, yeah. you're talking about a time when they were literally viewed as cattle. Yeah. Well, okay. Although so New Orleans had relatively slightly more progressive laws than like um alabama or mississippi at the time well so yeah i was i was actually researching this and they actually had okay so during the um sort of the the french rule like the, the french rule of new orleans or sorry let's just go over louisiana during the sort of the french rule of louisiana there was something called the code noir and it was um developed in france and it was specifically for how you treat your slaves both punishment and um sort of like treating them fairly. Um, and it was taken, it was taken up by Louisiana. And then when the Spanish came in, the Spanish, instead of coming up with their own, they actually adopted most of the rules from the code noir into their own. So I'm just trying to find, um, just to give you an example of what some of the rules were, because they were remarkably enlightened for, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not condoning. Mm -hmm. It's a relative you know, slavery. Thing, it's a yeah. Um, so let me just. Oh, here we go. Okay. So for example, um, so some of the prohibitions. For example, slaves can't carry weapons except under the permission of their masters for hunting. Um, one of the interesting ones is slaves should not sell sugarcane even with the permission of their masters, which is kind of weird. Um, yeah. Masters must give food, uh, quantity, you know, and clothes to their slaves, even to those who are sick and old. Um, a slave who struck his master or wife must be executed. So, you know, sort of things like that. And then there's different things on uh, punishments. But there's also things like, um, uh, let's see. So if there's children between a female slave and a free man, if the father is unmarried, he's free and unmarried, he has to marry the slave, um, oh. thus freeing her, thus freeing her and her children from slavery. Wow. Um, other, otherwise, if he's married, there would be a fine for both the father and the slave's master, if it was a different master. And the fine was 2,000 pounds of sugar. Oh, that's a lot. 
Yeah. It's huge. Mm -hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, the, I'm just trying to think of some of the other stuff. Um, no, they had, they actually had some pretty, um, um, some pretty good, like they, they actually had very specific rules about, for example, the type of, um, neck irons you could wear. And that's why the neck iron thing keeps coming up with Lala Ree. The type of neck irons she was using, I think were illegal under the code at the time. Okay. So that's mm -hmm. why it's actually, that's why it's actually commented on. I saw a negress with a neck iron. Otherwise, why comment on it? Right. Um, so they, so there were very right. specific it, rules about how you treat. In other states, slaves. that would not have warranted comment. Exactly. Yeah, Louisiana and it, said pretty. Advanced. Yeah. And looking at New Orleans itself too, you also had more mixing between the races than you know other areas. Yeah, you know, and you there were specific. The, yeah, there were very the specific Creole rules communities about, yeah. and you know yeah. all those others that you don't have anywhere else in the but south. Louisiana was also one of the only states, I think, that actually let slaves buy their freedom. Yep. Okay. Um, so that's another thing I remember. Um, but they I'm would. To think of some of the. They would have to have a, some means of earning money. Then. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was a system set against them. But if yeah. you could manage it, then you were permitted to legally, whereas other states wouldn't allow that. Yeah. So I have a. I have. I want to take this for another direction for a minute. If that's all right, and and that... I expected nothing less. <laughs> You're catching on. <laughs> yeah. Um. One of the things that we know about serial killers is they tend to start tend to tend to start fairly young. I mean, not necessarily killing young, but they're they're the signs start coming out in their early years, you know, yep. uh, and what the common stuff is, is that, you know, they torture animals and, and, uh, various, uh, you know, set fires or things of this nature. Um, I'm guessing we don't know enough about her early years to know if that was the case, except she had two dead husbands. Well, I don't think there was any suspicion cast on her for the death of her husbands. Well, I'm not yeah, seen, I'm not, I'm not I'm aware not of any either. I know that I know there there wasn't. <laughs> well, okay, but she so wasn't just, suspected just, of murdering slaves until she was. <laughs> well, just just along those lines, let's talk about this way. So most serial killers who are poisoners stick with their mo. Right. She was not a poisoner. No. So her husbands would have had to have either suffered some sort of ghastly limb gash, something on their body, and that would have cast suspicion. Or she was a poisoner, and she changed her MO completely. She had two rich husbands. I mean, why would you change? Why would you change up from one husband to another? You, you, it's basically More? a sideways move for her. Okay. But That's anyway, fair, yeah, fair it, explanation. It, but so then, then what, what set her off? Then was it her husband? So, well, we there's okay, one so. theory with that actually that it involved her um, uncle having died in that slave rebellion that we oh, touched on. And then in 1811, her mother died in a slave rebellion. Separate, a separate rebellion. Mm. And then that that might have um, set her off somewhat do initially. Do we know how old she was during those rebellions? Because if she was quite young, you know, absolutely. But then she uh, might have started younger and we would have had more signs. 
she would have been roughly 24 in 1811. Okay. So maybe a little bit. Would have been. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe not um, maybe not mature enough for those feelings to have surfaced yet. But yeah, I was actually talking about this to someone earlier. Just like, why did she do it? Um, we reckon because okay, so that might have been why like that caused the proclivity. Why go after slaves? But the other thing is, is that opportunity. She didn't yeah. have to. She didn't have to go out and look for white people or look for people on the streets or stalk her victims. She yeah. had a completely endless supply to do anything she wanted to in the confines of her own home. Right. So up in their why attic. You, so if you've already got that inclination, maybe she did, maybe she didn't. We don't know because we don't know about whether serial killers are born with something or not. And I don't even want to get into that. Um, and then the slave rebellions, both her uncle, depending on how close she was, and her mother, absolutely, because she was such a forceful mother, then, yeah, absolutely. Then all of a sudden she's a rich woman with tons of slaves and a private property. And a lot of anger. And a lot of anger, yeah. I, I reckon that's probably it. What about what about uh, Monsieur Lelore? What was – do we know anything about his uh, level of knowledge slash – I mean, he had to have knowledge, but what about, did he well, participate? See, did thing. he aid and abet? Did he... Well, see, that's the thing. There's no, there's no evidence that any other member of the family had anything to do with it. So it's only her that's demonized. But I reckon there's no way she could have done it without... Okay, so the daughters we know were punished by the mother for trying to free the slaves at times. Okay. So we know the daughters were aware that the slaves were mistreated just by that. Um, the husband was a doctor. So that's a bit weird. Right. Um, he lived in the same house. He can't not have been aware of it. And the fact that he was telling people that, you know, he, he told the magistrates who came earlier, you know, he, he quoted that he said something about the law interfering with people's lives, meant that he probably disagreed with the current slave laws. So, yeah, he had to be complicit. Had to be. Absolutely. Now, there is another conspiracy theory that goes around all that that I don't buy a whole lot that she was doing some sort of scientific experiments on the no, I don't, so, I don't I don't buy that either okay, no so if you're doing if, if you know um, what is it that Adam Savage says the difference between science and goofing off is uh, writing shit down <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh yeah science is systematic science right. is disinterested right what she you did know, is not that at all. If you try and look at it, I mean, I don't know if this is a dangerous place to go, but I try to do this with some of my writing when I do the horror stuff. If you try to look at it from her point of view, and I'm going to do that, what she was doing is perfectly justified. Because even from a scientific point of view, she was learning more about the human body than most people at the time. But she and the, was keeping that the, knowledge to herself. She was keeping it to herself. That's the other, okay, that's where the argument kind of falls down. <laughs> Yeah, well, but one of but the if she was satisfying her own scientific curiosity, mm -hmm. on some level she knew it was wrong, obviously, because she kept them on the third story of her home and kept the doors locked and wouldn't let anybody in. But right. on another level, she completely justified it by, you know, going with the scientific theory, she might have completely justified it by just saying, I'm furthering my knowledge, my own knowledge of science here. How cool is this? To what end? I mean... But because the pursuit of knowledge. Okay. 
So okay, she was sick see, and doing it, but see, Michelangelo furthered his knowledge of uh, anatomy for artistic purposes by, you know, dissecting corpses. Yeah, at least he got and, the dead ones, though. Right, and it wasn't always legal what he did. No, I know. Okay, well, we're, basically but, we're just but still, we're but still, he was using dead people. Yeah, and, and he so had a purpose. We've, we've just dissected the whole conspiracy that she was doing it for science. Well, and there's another interesting part of that. That again, I don't believe at all. But that um, Nicholas, the doctor, was involved, and he was studying ways to um, use mind control over the slaves. Yeah, this oh is another God. part of that. I think Where they probably get that from the spoon things. in the brain. I mean, yeah, there's no okay. proof of him, but. Yeah, well, I think the, that might just be from the spoon. The spoon in the brain, again, comes from years after the event, and then it turned into, well, there was more than one guy that had the spoon, his brain scrambled. So it's it's kind of like you go from the original seven where this guy wasn't discovered to four years later, oh, wait a minute, I remember there was a guy with a spoon in his brain, to, oh, there were a bunch of guys who had spoons in their brains. Right. It's like, oh, come on. It's like Well, that's why it's a conspiracy theory, Kelly. <laughs> oh, yeah. sorry. Okay. But but I want to I, I want to I want to touch on something about some other known serial killers. One, well, there's Harold Shipman. He was a doctor uh, in England, right? In the 70s, yeah. he killed what like 200 people, right? I mean, mm -hmm. uh, incredible. Also in England, there were a couple of cases where um, it were a man and a woman couple. And in, in, in at least one of those cases, I think um, they, they said... I know, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, they said that, you know, she would never have been a killer without, if she had never met him. Yeah, I know. It's a stupid defense. Well, well, it's not it, not so much as a defense, as much as uh, talking up how you know, in, uh, how your close associates affect you, right? How you can get yeah. dr drawn into things. I mean, granted, you know, she had this was um, who was uh, Wests, the Wests. Yeah, I was just thinking you're you're talking about Rosemary West, and I was going to yeah. say it, but I wasn't sure. If, okay. Yeah, and and how you know if she had met somebody else, she, I mean she was still she still had sociopathic tendencies. There's no question about that. But but what her crimes would have with, been less if she had met someone else, or just the yeah, opportunity uh, was there with him. Yeah, but because because she met up with uh, Fred, and they together developed this mo. That, that to uh, me is kind of like the devil made me do it. Yeah. You know? Well, but I don't. But it, that uh, is some weak tea. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, I, I'm just reporting what I've heard, and but you know what? Who you associate really does have an impact on you. Yeah, you know? I know. I'm just thinking, actually, um, the Slenderman case. Right. It was, yeah. all down, it was all down to. Who they were associating with, and sort of a group psychosis thing. Yeah, right. You yeah, know? I mean, you lie down with dogs, you get fleas. Sure. Okay, so but... let's take this back to to Delphine. 
Um, right. Oh, and by the way, just in case Jesse is watching this and he commented on it, and I think it was Wednesday, Delphine is um, based on the Greek name from the Delphi, where the, um, the, the Oracle? Oracle was. There was sort of a Greek, there was sort of a Greek revival thing going on at the time, so that's why she was named Delphine. <laughs> that's just for there you Jesse. go, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, so, 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 so my. And I'm totally speculating here, and I don't expect there's any evidence at all. But maybe, maybe like uh, they're like two chemical compounds, you know, Delphine and what was his name? Her Nicholas. Husband, Nicholas. That separately they're fairly inert, but when you combine them together, kabooey. So you reckon he's the brains behind the operation? I don't know. Um, he he might have just been totally, um, uh, you know, complicit. Complicit. He might have been totally dominated by her. I um, do know that his work kept him out of the house for many hours during the day. Well, yeah. And that, we and we also know that she was a lot older than him. So she. Oh, and we yeah. also know that um, the child she had with him was born out of wedlock. So oh. she must have either been fantastically gorgeous to attract a younger man at that time. And I'm not saying that to be sexist. I'm just saying there were probably a lot of young women around at the time, and he probably could have, you know, snagged someone more closer to his age. Right. Successful um, she, doctors, she, uh, you know. Or she had some sort of hold over him. A younger man with some money, too. Exactly. I mean, he didn't have nearly as much as her, but, but he did still. He was, still... He was a catch. <laughs> Yeah, I think the um, well, amount yeah. actually that I read was she was worth about sixty six thousand dollars when they married, and he was worth about two thousand. Oh wow! So you see, so there's but something two thousand dollars was a substantial yeah. estate in those yeah. days. Yeah, yeah, that's my point. He yeah. brought but some there, but he didn't have nearly as much as her. But you but know, by the contemporary standards, he was still a catch. And the fact of the matter is, he went he went with an older woman. Yeah, he he had sex with her outside of marriage. They had a son. They finally got married. There's some, I don't know, it just sounds like there's some sort of weird control she had over him. But you know what? Um, speaking from the male perspective, <laughs> one of the things that that meant, would have meant to him was he didn't have to ever wonder if she married him for his money. Okay, yeah, that's true. And but so, isn't that a strange? That's kind of a strange reason to marry someone. Well, I'm not. I'm not saying it's a sole factor, but it okay. certainly plays into. It's a. It's something to consider. It's like you know, he goes to these social parties and these balls and all these things and all these fluttering fans around the room trying to land this, you know, attractive, successful doctor, and he, you know, you get. He's got to get tired of, you know, the gold digging going on around him. Wasn't that one of the main reasons that people would marry back then, though? It wasn't romantic love. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that notion is modern. Absolutely. Romantic love and marriage. It was starting to, it was starting to come into vogue, though. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, I guess. But still, time. But, I mean, but it, it took a long time to completely replace it. But still, you know, you got to go, they just they don't care about <laughs> me. They just see a wallet. Yeah, I can see that. And this woman over here. He went to such an extreme, though. How much older was she? 
I want to say thirty some years. Whoa. Yeah. Ooh, okay. That's uh That's okay. You sound shocked. Well, I, I mean, you're shocked. I, well, I, I am a little bit, but you know, <laughs> I know I know plenty. No, I don't know. I know of several marriages that are twenty years apart. Actually, that you know what? I'm really I'm... super happy. I would be interested to find out whether he actually lost his mother at a young age, because Ooh. that way he would be attracted to an older woman. Yeah. Or am I wrong? Um, I. No, that would make sense it, from like a Freudian view. Yeah. I'm not a Freudian, but anyway. Um, yeah. No, I'm just. <laughs> well, I'm not. No, either, I'm just thinking. I know. I'm just, no, but I know. If, I'm if not a Freudian of anything. If he did, oh God. Uh, the descent begins. Um, no, I'm just thinking if he did lose his mother at a young age, then he would be looking for some sort of comfort or something to fill the gap that he didn't have when he was a child, if we're getting deep into the psychoanalysis. I mean, when you're right, you're right with something like that. Yeah. You know, no matter yeah. where it comes from. And it also would have meant that that, that control that I said she, she might have had over him, Whether the influence he... she had over him would have been stronger because if she was like, a wife and a mother figure to him. He would have done anything for her, like keep her secrets. The other, the, the flip, the the inverse is, you know, maybe she, the mother didn't die, but he was like a mama's boy kind of thing, you know. Uh, yeah, maybe. And was looking, again, to replace that mother figure, but she may not have necessarily been dead. Great. Now, instead of writing my book tomorrow, I'm going to be looking up... <laughs> Madame LaLaurie's husband's. By the way, the what is the average recu recovery time from being on the show? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was surprisingly, I was looking at the last time I was on the show, and it was the beginning of March, so about six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still not quite recovered, but I'm on the curve up, so I still need the wine to well, you know you, do the you, show. You were on the curve up. <laughs> <laughs> And I know you're doing a special Mother's Day month next month, so yeah, I'm I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not sure if I'll be invited back. Oh, absolutely. Well, after taking over Jesse's show yesterday, I, I wasn't so sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you, back to Lillory. I don't um, care what so you do anyway, to yeah, Jesse's show. <laughs> oh God, I was all over the chat board. I'm, I'm pretty much take over the chat board on Jesse's show. Um. So anyway, there was yeah, something else yeah. I wanted to mention. Um, okay. So. Lullery, people basically know her better. She does have um, an Irish background. So her, I think it's her parents or her grandparents were, uh, no, her father was Irish. So she's actually got a very um, sort of Celtic background. Hmm. Um, but in Ma popular. Maiden name McCarthy, McClaffrey? Yeah. Something, something she, like that. Yeah, they, they actually had a, um, uh, they sort of more, they less Irish did. I don't know, whatever the name is. Um, so basically I was looking at some of the stuff she's, she's been in and there's tons and tons of stuff. Apparently she's appeared in all sorts of TV shows and video games. And she showed up as a character in a board game called evil baby orphanage, which I must <laughs> own at some point. Oh so I thought God. that was hilarious. Um, obviously she's on been the, in American horror story. On the other hand, is there any other kind of orphanage? You know what that probably comes from, Kelly, is the legend of the devil baby of Bourbon Street and how well, that... I'm trying, to, I'm trying to figure out whether it's evil babies orphanage or evil babies and the evil is the orphanage for babies. Like, is it evil orphanage or evil babies? 
Of that, I'm not sure of, but uh, yeah, that Devil it. Baby story is an interesting one in itself. Um, I don't well, know if you guys on. have heard that. No. I, allegedly, it was this baby with very severe birth defects and like horns on its head to where it did look like a devil that oh, was born to a um, voodoo priest. It was adopted in the story by Marie Laveau. And it was christened by Madame LaLaurie. And it lived to about five years and was no more. Hmm. But they, okay. it was interesting. After that, in the um, communities, the Creole communities and the um, communities of slaves in New Orleans, there was quite the cult of the devil baby where they would make dolls of it and hang that it is... out in front of their um, windows That's to protect kind of the, awesome. from the spirit of the devil baby coming in and taking their soul. Man, I, I've, I've been to New Orleans. I want to get back down. I went, I've, I've been down there um, pre, uh, pre-Katrina. And mm-hmm. we, we did the whole, I was actually down there during Mardi Gras. It was a business trip, but I lucked out. And I've been to Marie Laveau's voodoo shop, which was like amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like we were talking about later, just the uh, uh, Lullary showing up in American Horror Story. Yes, Marie Laveau is part of the story. And mm-hmm. in the story, Marie Laveau sort of gives Lullary something that gives her eternal life. And then she buries her for 200 years, et cetera, et cetera. There's no evidence of any of that happening. But what? Um, no, there's not. I did, again, it's the whole thing. Would would if you're like one of the richest women in New Orleans, would you? You're not going to go camping. You're not going to go to <laughs> you know the black area like of, of New Orleans and get your hair cut. You know, you're going to you know yeah. at the very least you're going to get someone into your house to do it. So, um, but yeah, no, I've I've been there. I've been. It was awesome. I love the Marie Lavoon shop, and uh, I still have a blessed alligator foot from the shop. So. You know, I'm hoping it'll help me with the writing. <laughs> it's, no, it's interesting. All those dolls disappeared for quite some time. And there was a um, psychic artist down in the city who resurrected them and sort of made them and made new incarnations of them using really? the old ways that they would make them. The he sold them on eBay. And allegedly the people who were buying them were having horrible phenomena happen you know with the dolls getting moved for no inexplicable for no explicable reason and um things being ransacked and all sorts of weird you know stuff happening okay so this is a true story i i when i was down on my business trip i went into marie laveau's voodoo shop i bought myself like a couple of keychains like a breast alligator foot and a blessed swamp rat foot and i also bought a little tin of something that was called lucky lottery powder um and i took it home (laughs) And I know, okay, I swear to God. And my family at the time, every Saturday night, everybody met at my grandparents' house. We had fish and chips, Scottish family. And everybody bought lottery tickets. So I sprinkled everybody's lottery tickets with this powder. And I swear to God, the next week, my uncle and aunt won $10,000. So after years of playing, nothing, you know, five and ten bucks, they won ten grand. And that was my cousin's braces paid for. You know, people still take all sorts of, you know, trinkets and offerings to Marie Laveau's grave. Yeah, I know. That's, I, I, I saw that. That's interesting. They're getting a little bit upset by that because it's kind of, they're trampling the grave and disrespecting it. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's interesting when um, 
during the time of the Devil Baby, when it was still allegedly alive, Marie Laveau supposedly would go around and seeing these dolls hanging in the windows say, no, we don't want that. It brings attention to the real problems of the real Devil Baby. That's just so bizarre. I'm going to have to look up Devil Baby. Add that to the list tomorrow. The Devil Baby of Bourbon Street. The Devil Baby of Bourbon Street and Marie Laveau's husband and when did their mothers die? Okay, got it. So you, no, no, not Marie Laveau's husband, LaLaurie's oh, husband. Oh, sorry, LaLaurie's husband. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't get the, the concept of hanging an effigy of the thing you're trying to repel. Um, that seems counterintuitive to me. What? Wait a minute. You mean putting an elf on the shelf doesn't keep the elves away? Uh, Damn, I've been doing it wrong all these years. I I just use shotguns. I don't know what everybody I'm just trying to keep the little buggers out of my house. I put one of those things up. It's creepy as hell. I thought (laughs) it was supposed to keep them away. Oh, okay. Thanks. Well, I mean, they don't put giant stuffed crows out in the cornfield. Oh, this is true. The devil baby dolls were primarily carved out of gourds. I know that but this, is so but, creepy. But still, what I'm saying is, is yeah, you tend to not put the thing you're trying to keep away as the effigy of, uh, you know, the effigy that, that you that, use. I don't know. Maybe it's a voodoo true, thing. I think true, the thought pattern many... was that it would see itself and be so scared and repelled, kind no, of like I looking under... in a mirror. I understand this reasoning because you know all those horror movies where there's a scarecrow and it comes to life and it's really creepy and goes around killing everybody? Obviously, if you put a scarecrow out there, it attracts demon scarecrows. So, bad idea. Yeah, bad idea. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) If you want to keep a demon baby away, maybe put a, I don't know, demon teenager out or something instead. Okay, so last time I was on the show, we discussed Rasputin, and we ended up solving the mystery of the Loch Ness Monster. So now we're talking about Delphine, and we're now on to Demon Babies. Okay, just just, just a little check there. For those of you keeping score at home. Uh, the Devil <laughs> Baby was actually a legend that I had never heard until I read up on Delphine again today. I've never heard that one. That's awesome. Sources. I love it. I love that. I'm going to have to look it up. So... Very There's a horror story right there waiting to happen. Go, go, one of you. <laughs> <laughs> Devil baby. Yeah, there's so much interesting history down there in New Orleans. There really is. I love it. I just, um, I don't know. I'm not. I, I think I, one I, of my favorites, it's not related to a monster, is John Lafitte, the Pirate of the Bayou. That's the cool adventure story I've always liked. Oh, okay, Jesse, there's a guest for you. Talk about that one. <laughs> uh, hey, no, um, I like. Um, I, I, I'm not really. I'm not interested in modern history. I'm. I'm. I'm traditionally a medievalist, but New Orleans really, really. I just loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, there aren't a lot of. I mean, the farther west you go, the newer everything is. Um, yep. But New Orleans is kind of a, you know, an oasis of uh, antiquity. I mean, relative to the continent, of course. It's certainly a character. Sure. Of um, all the cities I've been to, it's 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 got quite a character. Yeah. 
yeah, uh, it was it was a very isolated uh, region for a long, long time. Still is in quite a few areas down there. But during the time when um, Delphine's parents came over, it was it was a heavy French area. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. because the French had settled in the south more than the, than the north, and then when the Spanish took over, it was still heavily French. So it seemed like a natural choice for a lot of people to, to migrate to. I had a question about the ransacking after the fire. Um, yep. Was that just like um, just like pillaging, or was it like rioting kind of thing? The way I understood it, it was a bit of that, but it was also more um, people being enraged at what they saw. Yeah, they were just, there were, I think it was a, what do you call it, like a mob, uh, mob mentality. Lynch so everybody mob. was, yeah, yeah, everybody was very, very angry. Um, and then the, the mentality took over, and even people who possibly weren't even there when the initial the fire was there may have gone in and just trashed the place just because the, the feeling spread, yeah. People were pretty disgusted by the whole thing, um, yeah, given oh, yeah, that there yeah. were, uh, yeah, given that there were a specific set of rules, um, and we know they were enforced because, you know, unfortunately for those nine slaves that she bought back, um, they and unfortunately they weren't freed, but the rule did apply there, and she did actually, you know, give up the slaves initially. So we know there were people keeping an eye on these things, mm-hmm. um, and we know they tried at least. I, I'm not trying to justify any of this but at least there were people that were trying so yeah most of new orleans was pretty pretty outraged by this i think that's a that's a good point to make because i think in my mind and maybe in other people's minds um you you kind of think of the 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 years of slavery as you know like well i own these people and i can do whatever the hell i want yeah. But the other thing is, actually, I wanted to point out um, one of the rules about um, owning slaves um, uh, from the what did I with the, the, the Code Noir was actually that um, slaves must be brought up Roman Catholic, which means that they were actually considered humans. Ooh. So they actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they were actually considered smart enough to understand the dogma and all the doctrine of Roman Catholicism and they were being treated like other, like white kids, you know, you are being brought up in this religion, meant that they were considered humans. So at least that was a step up from a few years back. Yeah. Well, and that's even a step up from other contemporary areas, you know. Well, from other states, places yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. like Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, this was this is uh, Louisiana-specific. Right. Well, and part of my point is, you know, if... If this had taken place in Georgia, would people have been as upset? That's a good question, actually. Um, you know, another I, thing and, I touched and, and, and on I'm not, in I'm reading picking, about it. I'm not picking on Georgia specifically, but as an example. No, but uh, like another right. Louisiana state. Well, I've been reading up on all of the um, so the history of sort of like the, the different um, regulations that we're going through and the different, like the, sort of the history of the whole thing. And there was towards the end when Lullary was doing this, there had been so many revolts. There had been a lot of um, organizations founded um, to support the blacks in the South. There had been a lot of newspapers started that were strictly 
um, for the purpose of reporting things that were happening in the South to the black people. So there was really? enormous amount of pressure, not just from the North to the South, but for within the South itself to recognize slaves, to treat them better and God, you know, to, for, to you know, to slave them or sorry, to free them. So I would imagine the people in Georgia at the time would have been under the same amount of pressure and would have been just as offended. At least I hope. Uh, I I was reading something that ties into that rather interestingly, and this gets back to the medical idea. There were slaves were commonly sold in Atlanta specifically at the medical schools for experimentation on them. And this gets back to around the time of Burke's bodies. Right. Which I'm sure you know the history of. Um, yeah. Where it was common that they would go out and get a few of the blacks at the medical schools that they would basically take with them back to the places where the medical students were staying. Yeah. And they would experiment on them over the weekend and they would do all sorts of things to them and then they would have to be buried come Monday. Charming. I mean that's that's Mangala level shit, man. Yeah, it really yeah. is. Yeah. So you know, honestly, I don't think there would have been the same level of outrage in Georgia. Right. Okay. Well, it, keep in mind also, I guess Louisiana did have these rules a lot longer. Like they had them in place during the French occupation. So they've had them in place since you know the late 1700s, early like mid late 1700s. Right. So I guess maybe the 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 sensibility. They'd gotten used to the rules, and then they maybe the the perceptions were starting to change. I don't know. Yeah, possibly. It, yeah. I mean, at one it, point, at one point, I was referring to Lalaurie as you know Madame Angela, but that's probably not very nice. <laughs> <laughs> to Mangala. Well, she was just <laughs> awful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I fully expect to be haunted by Delphine this evening, so thanks, guys. Well, and that was one other sad thing on Google when I was looking at this today. One of the searches was after Madame LaLaurie, feel sorry for her. Oh, no. What? 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 I think it had to be because of American Horror Story. I didn't dig into any of the results there, but that was something that people were Googling. So That... It had to be American Horror Story because in, yeah. in the story, I don't know if you've seen Coven. Do you know how it ends? I have. Yeah. Okay, so you know she's she kind of does a little bit of a turnaround. She kind of shows a little bit of regret, and then she snaps right back into her old character and gets her just desserts. And no, I don't think there's any feeling sorry for this woman, even in a fictional sense. No, me neither. That's why I was shocked to see that. But... Oh man, that's weird. So I I have another possibility for how she got started on this okay so the thing the thing with sociopaths is that um you know they well i let me just say that i so let's let's say that you know she was a society girl who lived a very sheltered life which was true very wealthy sheltered life and so imagine then at some point after marrying LaLaurie, you know, she in a rage, you know, grabs a knife and slices at one of the slaves. Yeah. And then, it, you know, maybe shocked at herself and then goes, ooh, I kind of like that. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it's, it's actually funny you, you know? should say that because they actually do offer a little bit of an explanation in American Horror Story. And it has them setting up in the house in New Orleans and the kitchen staff hasn't arrived yet. So Lullery has to um, cut the head off a chicken um, um, for them to eat that night. And the blood spurts from the chicken and she's fascinated by it. And then a couple of days later, one of the slaves gets a, a really bad injury and she's looking at it and she kind of sticks her finger in the cut in his leg and he screams and she's like, okay, yeah, I kind of like this. So that's kind of along the lines of what you were thinking, I think. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It very well could be. And I don't think we touched on this part, but her favorite, her weapon of choice, if you will, was a bull whip. Oh, really? Yeah, she was apparently very, very, very evil with that. Yeah. That's what she initially chased the uh, slave girl Leah up to the roof with. Yeah. And, and she, she was used so that she was yeah. She was so ter apparently she was so terrified of the whip and the injury that the whip would do her. So this suggests that she's seen other people whipped and the injuries uh, that she would rather dive off of the balcony than suffer the whip. And now since about 1970 in New Orleans in their wax museum there. There's actually a scene of her and her um, slave, the, oh, what was his name? I can't think of it, but it was like her head male slave whipping oh, okay. two others in the house. That's in their wax museum. Oh, my God. I, I When I was down there, I missed the wax museum, and I love those. They're so cheesy. Okay, next time. <laughs> uh, uh, next time. Next time I'm down, I'm we're we're kind of waiting a couple of years to see how things go with regard to traveling to the United States. Um, but yeah, next trip down, I'm definitely got to see that wax museum. Oh, the, I should have grabbed a picture of that because there's a bunch of them online. Oh, I'm gonna go look. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna go look for that. That's hilarious. Uh, I'll look while we're talking here too, because it's been. And man, I, I can't love, remember the name of that slave. I do love wax museums. Yeah, they're see, so, they're with so the camping possibility, oh, I was okay. uh, with the camping possibility with her going to Lake Pontchartrain. If yeah. there was enough pressure on her when she left town, she might have stayed there for a time. If she had no other choice. But was there like some sort of structure out there? Like, was there a cabin or like? I can't see her just. Like, she wouldn't have a tent on her when she fled. I can't see her just lying no, down I in the woods that, and, you know, like... No, there would have had to have been something there. And there would have had to have been a guide that took yeah. her, you know, that way. And that's I where there was the um, theory that it was that same slave who was doing the whipping. Oh, that I see. that area and helped her hide out there. I don't know. I'd say that was the least plausible of all the theories we have. Seems like the easiest option is just to jump on a boat. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. but you're going to have to get out of there if people are, you know, coming for your head. But remember, they also had a period of time between telling people to go away, they're not giving the keys over, and actually handing over the keys because they were forced to. So mm -hmm. they could have gathered oh. up, you know, as much as possible. Plus, they might have had money in different banks. She could have, you know, they could have accessed the different banks. We also don't know what happened to her husband. Like, I'm assuming he fled with her um, and her daughters, because all we know of is, like, about the death of... Marie in Paris, but I don't know when her husband died, whether he stuck around, whether he left with her. Um, I don't know if he do you know any of this? Kinda over, he gets kind of overshadowed by her. I don't know his death yeah. date. And the daughters yeah, as well. I'm, I don't know much about them either. Well, oh crap. It's not letting me put the URL in the chat of this picture. 
I'll um I'll I'll add it to the list of things I'm going to be spending time on tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, the the kids, holy shit, you know, having well, a, they must having, have. I mean, they obviously knew. Um, and yeah, yeah I guess that yeah, the stigma. I sent like, it via Skype. You can see the picture. I can okay. Well, I can see the URL, but I'll take a look at it. Yep. Um, yeah, I guess if we have the evidence that Lollary was punishing her children for trying to help the slaves, then obviously they were of a different mind than her. Right. And would you wanted to flee with your mother, or would you have maybe tried to... They couldn't have made it on their own. They were, I think they were unmarried at the time. Which sounds terrible, a single woman making it on her own in New Orleans, but it just that's the way it but was. that's the reality. I mean, if they, yeah. had, they had no personal resources. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they, you know, they wouldn't have wanted to stay. They would have seen, you know, <laughs> they would have a pretty good idea how things are going and turning yeah, against the family. You don't want to yeah. stick around for that. Yeah, there's no way they could have stayed. Yeah, I mean, again, you get into the class rules, and that would have been, you know, even if they had, you know, girlfriends, families that might have otherwise been willing to take them in, under those circumstances, that would have been, you know, unthinkable. Well, they could have been seen as innocents, especially if, like I said, we, we know that she didn't want them helping the slaves. Um, but, yeah, with that last name, no. <laughs> I, I don't think they would have gotten very far. No. Not in New Orleans. No. Chances are they fled with mom. And supposedly dad. But and supposedly, knows? yeah, that's who knows, yeah. Which is very weird because it's like for me as a medievalist, I, I get used to not having a lot of information because there were no records. But to me, this is fairly modern stuff going on, mm -hmm. and I'm really surprised there's not more records, or, you know, involving. Well, I don't know. I guess unless she did something horrendous when she was in France, there wouldn't be with her. No, hmm. she she would have done uh, everything possible to not get attention, right? Well, see, that brings up the other question about serial killers. Is Would it be possible for her to just stop? It's rare. But, yeah. you know, you look at, uh, was it BTK, Wes, who had the it, 10 years? He had the yeah. longest cooling off period, yeah. yeah. No doubt about it. It was Tim... And, but I can't. Um, but I can't see if she's if she's truly one of the like sort of like the, the the stereotypical. And I know I'm generalizing serial killers that we're looking at. I I can't see. Like she she got away scot free. She suffered no punishment. I can't see her not continuing the behavior. But except, maybe she didn't. Just her, didn't. Her her the she couldn't play the game by her rules in France. Well, that's true, actually. And they did have um, more progressive rules about slavery in France at the time. Yeah, and they were they were on the verge of freeing their slaves, too, right? I was just thinking, I think, actually, it might have been around the time that they were like slaves were illegal, so that could be possible. And so her entire game would have been, uh, you know, unplayable by her own rules. And yeah, so, that's true. Um, it 
you know, it might have been, you know, challenging for her to not continue, but at the same time, she couldn't. Because, well, because, and it depends on how long she was alive when she was over there, too. Yeah. If it was, I mean, there's an interesting story about how she died. I'm not sure As if there's the any, yeah, the boar hunting accident over there. Tell us, tell us about that. She was allegedly, I guess, mauled by a boar <laughs> on a hunting trip of some sort. Unsubstantiated story. <laughs> yeah, unsubstantiated, yeah, but a story nonetheless. Oh, here we go. Okay, so remember I, um, the, the, there was, remember I was talking about a, an author called George? It actually, um, in 1888, um, George Washington Cable actually. Um, oh, he yeah. Wrote, he wrote an account of um, Madame Delphine, and he based it on contemporary reports um, from the New Orleans Bee, but he also, and also um, Martineau's stuff, but then he also added a bunch of his own stuff and speculation with no attribution. Hmm. So I think a lot of the stuff we get, um, especially the, the book that came out in the, the 40s, probably mm -hmm. came from him. Yeah, that was in, what was the name of the magazine? Uh, the New Orleans Bee? No, no, no. It was um, something Citizen that Cable wrote for. Oh, right. Hang on. Uh, do, 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 do. I just had it, actually. New Citizen, maybe? Uh, hang on. All I've got is the New Orleans being the advertiser. Oh, no, that's all I got. <clears throat> I'll have to look that up, too. Is it? Yeah. So he wrote that for some magazine from out east, I thought. Oh, okay. But see, that's, you know, not that much after, but enough that the stories have expanded. And I think a lot of the stuff that people are talking about, the stuff that she did, the horrific stuff that she did. So that's where the number expands from the original seven to, you know, the 60, whatever, 68 or 63 that Kathy Bates quoted. Mm -hmm. But it still was a good number. Oh, I yeah. Mean, I yeah. Mean, it well, puts... considering all the bodies they found, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it definitely puts her in the top echelon of uh, murderers in this country. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I did mean, find the Bundy, um, complete Bundy was like Washington a dozen. Cable. <laughs> Bundy was only like a dozen or so. Or 20-ish, something like that. So and she I'd say him, only, definitely. only. Yeah. So, wow. no, she was pretty prolific. But the, the the truth is that they wouldn't have considered her a serial killer because at the time she was killing slaves. And sadly, even though the whole religion thing suggests that people thought of them as human beings, a lot of the people didn't. So are you are you a serial killer if you're not if you're killing people who aren't considered human? I think well, they this... wanted to do something to her, right? Because I mean, they were they were angry at her, at what oh, she yeah. was doing. They wanted to yeah, punish. They, they were wanting to punish her in some way. This um, DeepSouthMag.com article puts the number at fifty-four between eighteen sixteen and eighteen thirty-four. Oh wow! Okay. And then I just did the math, and she lived a further fifteen years. Um, if you go with her official birth date in France. Or wherever. So after the fire, she lived another 15 years. 
and died at what age? Uh, I think she was 60, 62, 63, something like that. Okay. So anyway, yeah, that's pretty much all we know about her. Um, it doesn't look like anybody kept track of her when she moved. We don't know where she moved to, so it's hard to keep track. There may be newspaper reports out there if someone wants to go into the research that, you know, there was some mysterious disappearances or accidents or, you know, of she might have had domestic services, servants who were black and who weren't slaves, she was paying, but might have had accidents. I don't know. Someday someone might find something that yeah. will suggests that she continued her activities, but basically that's all we know at this point. Another factor in why she may have not continued is she may have lost a lot of physical vigor in her flight to yeah, France. Yeah, that's true. And she would have been on foreign soil. She would have been in a completely different environment, not her own house. You know, She pretty much had the house built to her specifications. So, right. um, yeah, so it would have been, well, I don't like to sympathize, but yeah, uncomfortable for her. Century Magazine is what Cable originally wrote it for. Oh, okay. 1889. 18, okay. I yeah. think he also wrote a book afterwards based on the research he did for the article called Madame Delphine or Delphine something. Yeah. I actually put the link for that in the chat. I found oh, cool. a free copy of it at, um, at latech.edu. Oh, that's cool. Okay, thanks. That was still 50 years after the fact. Yeah, I know, and yeah. we discussed how things grow and you sort of mutate after the fact. It's just one of those things, I think it's like the Jack the Ripper story. There's so much speculation, there's so many people looking at it, there's so many different angles, there's, so you know... So little documentation. Exactly, yeah. It's yeah. just one of those things I don't think we'll ever figure out why. No, and she didn't keep journals or anything, apparently. No. Or if they sure did, fun. they burned up. It sure is fun to try and figure it out, though. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine she was a horribly introspective woman. Well, she, had, she, she held all these lavish parties, so she couldn't have been that introspective unless she was just good at hiding it. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of shy people, um, well, I don't know, I don't know. I know a lot of shy people sort of overcompensate um, for their shyness by being sort of really, really outgoing. But I don't get the sense from her. I think she was very confident. Yeah. Socially, I think she socially would, uh, adept. Yeah, definitely. I think she would have been the type to say, you know what, my way or the highway, and I don't see any reason for looking internally. No. I don't think so. I also get the impression she might have been a little bit manipulative sort of based on the relationship she she may have had with her with her last husband. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, it's not at all hard to imagine. I mean, again, was thirteen when she was first married. Yep. And to a rich man. Yeah. So she was from a very young age used to getting her way. Yeah, I mean, she was. He, she married a social equivalent. The the what was he a general or a major? Yes, yeah, some um, some higher up in the Spanish military. Yeah, um, but I, I get the impression that he was a like he was an equal as with regard to economics. Right. So what I'm saying is that you know from the age 13 on, she was used to telling people what to do and expecting them to do it. 
Oh yeah, she would have had. To, she would have been expected to run the entire household. Yeah. So. So uh, with so the with the upbringing she had until that age, and then her expected role, she was brought up with the expected role of being the mistress of the house and running the household and you know taking care of all of that. Uh, that was her role in society. That was she. That was what she was brought up to do. Then yeah, absolutely, she would have felt entitled. Uh, she would have felt like her yeah her way or the highway. Um, you know, don't argue with me or else. But also, as you say, manipulative, you know, the, <laughs> you know, the, 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 when the men and the women at these uh, social gatherings would go into their respective part wings of the house, you know, it wasn't all just pleasantries <laughs> discussed. No. Yeah. And I think, um, her first marriage, what did I say? It lasted about four, three or four years or something like that. Yeah. She was very young. So I don't think she was up to anything at that age. I think she was still growing into the role of mistress of the house because how can you not at that age? Right. And I think after the first four years, after the first husband, she had started establishing herself. And then the second husband came along and she was married for him for a little bit longer. And I think that's where she really sort of got her feet. She really found her feet, really started doing it. And then by the time she had her third husband, she was a lot older than him. She knew exactly what she was doing. She had a building erected in her own name with her own money. Um, she was in full control at that point. Yeah. <sighs> Holy shit. What a, what a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Yes. And she appears in Evil Baby Orphanage, which I'm, I swear to God, I've got to find that game. I've just, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm hooked on that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's an actual thing, huh? It's just fun to say, Evil Baby Orphanage. Yeah. It's like that um, monkey puppy baby. Oh God, you got that stuck in my head now. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> sorry, Evil Baby Orphanage. Evil Baby Orphanage. Okay. On that note. On that note, anything else to add? Anyone? Not anyone. Uh, Don't. I think that's. I'm all. I'm all. Love. Lo read out. Okay. Going once. Going twice. Sold. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show again, Kelly. No problem. I always enjoy I it. I hate to cut this short, but I have to pee like a racehorse. So. All right. No <laughs> long goodbyes tonight. Elegant. <laughs> See you guys. All right. Bye. Classy.